So I feel bad because you don't drink, do you? I just, I just, I realized just stopped. That. I just okay. stopped. But it, it's it's okay. I mean, I'm obviously very used to bars. Okay. This, is, this, this, there's, is, this there's, isn't going to be weird for you? No, no, no. There's, there's no... I, I don't think there's any way to be a performer and not be at bars all the time. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, storytelling shows... Just like stand-up shows happen at bars, yeah, and it's the you know, like I am in the process of learning how to deal with social anxiety without uh-huh. that stuff. It's not just it was a it, we're now on day thirty. Okay, um, so this is pretty fresh, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, I'm forty-five, so yeah. I have gone through periods of giving up mm-hmm. alcohol. Uh, giving up pot. The third one that not everyone knows about is poppers, which is uh, amyl yeah. nitrites. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. gay men yeah. sniff them when they're having sex. Is that explicitly a gay thing? Mostly. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I had been doing those for, oh, I don't know, 25 years. Wow. E- you know, even when just masturbating. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, we're talking, I'm very, very used to a lot of things. Now, I took nine years off of drinking. Yeah. So there have been periods that I've taken this out or that out, but I've always had one of the others. But 30 days ago, I thought to myself, you know, you're 45, you've pretty much experienced all you can experience of these things. Mm -hmm. It would be something very new to go without completely. And, um, you know... (sighs) I mean, I hate to say it because so much of my identity as a storyteller yeah. and as as the host of Risk is wrapped up in the whole idea that I'm the crazy partying mm-hmm. kinky guy. Yeah. Uh, so, but I feel like there is growth that I need to do on some level, and I have to be in in order to take Risk to the next level. I have to. I think have more energy, more stamina, more uh, you know, health. Not not popper stamina. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actual uh, from inside, genuine genuine stamina. In the sexual realm, I feel like those things, <laughs> like like to be in a haze that is marijuana filled, yeah. alcohol filled, pot filled, or poppers filled. Um, it, it's a little bit easier not to be present. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Not to be looking into someone's eyes and really feeling the energy between you. It's a little bit easier to be Is kind it? of in your own world. Isn't that, isn't that a connection exactly what you want, though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah well, that, that's what I'm saying. Okay. I'm saying sober yeah, up, yeah. and then you're much more likely to be able to keep grounding yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, stop thinking about worrying about having an orgasm or worrying sure. about what was just said, you know, yeah. but to stay in the here and now with the person right where you are, that's something you're much more liable yeah. to be able to do sober, you know? Um, a, a lot of people in sex, I, I've certainly had this experience myself, like the idea of of getting obliterated mm-hmm. in sex. You know, I, I heard there was a great um, WTF with Mark Maron, a, sure. a great interview with um, uh, Jonathan um, Ames, mm-hmm. who was talking about how when he does cunnilingus, when he uh, eats pussy. Sure, sure. I think, you know, I feel like... <laughs> If they're listening this far, they they know what kind of means. Right, kind of right, right. Though. But that when he's engaged in that act, what he's usually going after yeah. 
is a sense of oblivion, of being obliv- mm. obliterated, which is the same thing that people do when they want to drink to blackout or, yeah. or you know, to go into an altered state that's a little bit, you know, go a little bit into unconsciousness. Mm. Um, so what would it be like, I'm wondering, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still so fresh and new at it, <laughs> to have sex sober and maybe not get obliterated by it, but maybe, I don't know, be present to something. Maybe it could still feel like an altered state, but a more yeah plugged Organic. in sort of. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're telling me that up to this point in your life, you you haven't had that experience before of sober sex. Yeah, uh, I've certainly had sober sex before, but not within the context of okay, I've just given everything up. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there is kind of a difference between being sober sure. as someone who is like considers themselves recovering and someone who just happens to be sober but yeah. knows they can have a drink in, in an hour. <laughs> it's, it's interesting the way you describe it because I'm thinking like it's it's like, you know, it's I mean, this is this is the issue that I have with conversations is waiting is is is, you know, seeing somebody talk, watching their mouth move and waiting to make your point. Oh, it's that uh-huh. same th- you know what I mean? Oh, like, oh you mean being it, present, being, being being in the moment. I mean, that's where you're t- I mean, it's very similar to, to like you said, orgasm. Thinking just, ahead, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I mean, I have a bad habit of getting all caught up in self helpy stuff, mm. and you know, I'm always of not just two minds about things, but three or four. You know, so here I am yet again. Whenever I try to sober up a little bit, yeah. And right now, I'm trying to sober up a lot. You know, it, it, I haven't given up just one thing, but all three of the major things that I'm used to. Um, uh, then I start turning to things like therapy, uh, meditation, uh, little that. self-helpy yeah. things. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I started seeing a therapist at the beginning of the year. I made sure to go to a kink-friendly Therapist, there, there's something called kink aware professionals, okay. where you can see a therapist who won't pathologize you for having for being into this or that. Is, that, is this an issue that you've had in the past? Yeah, well, I've always had women in the yeah. past, and uh, I definitely have mother issues. And you know what? What I think of when I think of my mother is rejection of sexuality. You know what I mean? It's interesting. I mean, you're, you're obviously somebody who's, who's very in touch with your own your own neuroses and, yeah. and the origin of those neuroses. Yeah. And I'm wondering why it would be an issue of you going to a therapist who was addressing those things. Well, you, what, what I felt like I had never had before was an older gay male therapist mm. because, you know, I mean... I rail against gay men all the time for not going to more mm-hmm. kink events where trans people and lesbians and straight people and bi people are there. But there's simply no getting around the fact that when men are just with men in a sexual way, there's a level of understanding that is completely that can't be replicated anywhere else in society. Um, there's, you know, like, <laughs> like I have, uh, my best, my best friend is yeah. a woman. And so I'm constantly listening to her feelings about straight yeah. men. And I have to empathize with her because I'm an empathetic person. And I, you know, I put together a show like risk where I'm constantly putting myself in other people's shoes but I often just tell her straight out after she's complained about straight men for, you know, five minutes yeah. straight. God damn, am I glad I'm not a straight guy. 
because so many of the things that that wait you, you're feeling you're you're feeling sorry for the the dude in that. The, I'm st- I feel sorry for straight dudes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, I feel sorry yeah. for straight women in, in yeah. various ways too. But it's just like so many of the things that women are sensitive about, yeah. or that are like critical of, or that are like yeah. paying attention to. Dudes are much more just like. Yeah, fuck that. Okay. No, you don't have to shower. So Let's this, be filthy. What, what, the ser- what, this, what, the, what the therapist is bringing at the table is basically, yeah, like, yeah, I get that. Let's move beyond exactly, all of that Exactly, stuff. Yeah, okay. the therapist is able to say, yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally get yeah. it. Like, like, for example, uh, I'm, I'm working on a story right now about how, how much guilt I feel about the fact that I'm pretty much at this stage in my life exclusively attracted to Asian guys and they tend to be younger Asian guys right you're and feeling guilt about I that? feel guilt about that and my therapist just just like Kevin yeah. <laughs> yeah. like there are certain pockets of society that might frown on that yeah. but most gay men seem to just immediately understand that we have types that some of these things were imprinted on us when we were very young your type is your type you like yeah. what you like get on with it <laughs> But for me, I feel like because it's a racial thing, sure. that there's extra it's layers of of difficulty yeah. in there. It, it's like if I was if I was like, oh yeah, my type is you know tall blonde guys with you know abs or whatever. That would be you feel fine. like a colonist, a sexual colonist. Yes, right, exactly. There's a there's a weird yeah. there's other implications in it yeah. because it has to do with race. Uh, that make it political, historical, whatever, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Uh, but he's, yeah, but he's able to be like, all right, let's get beyond what you're saying on the surface yeah. and try to get to why you feel the need to okay. feel guilt. Because, you know, this is, and this might seem like a silly question, but you know, I'm wondering if, you know, as somebody who is, again, pretty in touch with the roots of mm-hmm. all, of his, mm-hmm. all of his neuroses, and as somebody who very much has an outlet to tell these stories, and yeah. from the sound of it, if you're holding back at all, you're not holding back much. What do you get out of a therapy session that those two things aren't already providing you? Oh, the, that risk isn't providing? That risk well, is just, you know, sort of, again, like knowing what your issues are. It's interesting. I mean, it's very easy to say we know what our issues are. Mm-hmm. There's a, like, people always say, you know, once you've identified what the issue is, you're yeah. halfway home. Sure. I just don't believe that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I really do think that it's easy to say, okay, here's what I think my issue is. But there's a big difference between... I mean, I could easily say I drink too much, but that didn't fix it, you know, for for all the years that I was drinking too much. You know, you can acknowledge it, but then, like, the actual work of changing the neural Mm -hmm. pathways in your brain... Is uh, takes some work, and I think that work always scares me. I think what, if there's a pattern with me, it's to feel guilty about something, try to make a drastic change, then get really upset that the tr- drastic change is not much fun, and fall off the wagon. You think you, <laughs> and you then think, feel you, guilty. You again. think you were lapsed Catholic? For the way oh you God! I'm, I am. I was very devoutly Catholic as a kid. My parents are still very devoutly yeah. Catholic, and there's no doubt that 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 is a huge contributing factor to the patterns of of, you know so but i i think i am hoping that sobriety and some therapy and i'm even trying hypnotherapy now too um i it's not like i want to 
change who like like to me the question is to what extent should you just accept that you are this way or that way and to what extent can you or should you really change and and for this issue or that issue there's a degree to which you know you pick your battles yeah so you're 45. You seem pretty comfortable. You know, you certainly know who you are. Yeah, yeah. Do you, it, do, have, have you have you learned to like yourself more? Um, that is a really good question because in creating risk, I've told so many stories. But the longer you tell stories, the more aware you become. And I'm sure stand-up comedians feel this way too, and maybe even more so because yeah. because they can kind of hide behind jokes sure. a lot more than, than sure. s- some storytellers can. Um, you, you begin to become much, much more aware, oh, here's my persona versus how I really feel and what I'm not saying. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, I've told maybe uh, 30 or 35 fully fleshed out stories over in risk so far. You know what I mean? Um, I haven't really counted. I'm just taking a guess there. But those are all like... 10, 15 minute stories. A couple of them were like hour and a half long stories. Um, and at this point now, I'm like, okay, what is left to explore? Mm. Uh, or how can I dig, how can I peel the onion a little bit more, you know, than I have in past stories? Is, is, so it, uh, when, when you're saying what's left to explore, you're not, you're not talking about specific stories you haven't necessarily told on stage. Yeah, but more like, b- more like. What, what is left to reveal about myself or yeah. to discover about myself in in the stories? That's I'm interesting. Telling. So, what what is, what is the process for that? Is is you like you 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 pick? Are, are you picking a specific story? I mean, it sounds you, like you're approaching it far more abstractly than that. Usually, what I do is try to think of specific moments mm. in my life that were especially emotional or especially yeah. fascinating or whatever. And try to key in on a few scenes and then start to flesh context Mm. around it. But to me, what really becomes interesting about the story is, okay, what do I make of the choices that I made and the thoughts that I was thinking? You know, I kind of like find it interesting to not make myself the bad guy, but kind of grill myself. Like, what what the fuck was I thinking? You know what I mean? Um, So... But then there are other occasions where I find myself really just looking at an issue. Like this whole issue right now that I'm just obsessing over is um, uh, this whole like Asian guys thing. The reason that I'm thinking about it right now is because the next show that I have to work on is the theme is taboo. And, you know, there are some kinky fetishes that I feel like I can talk about. And there are some things I've done where I'm like... Oh, I would prefer to wait till mom is dead to tell that one. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like you, you, that's another pick your battle sort of thing. Yeah. See, now I'm just now I'm wondering, like based on <laughs> based on what you have revealed, like what what skeletons could possibly be left in your closet at this point? Yeah. No, there's definitely still stuff there, and there are there are lots of reasons not to share a story. For one. Mm-hmm. You might not feel that yeah. you, you can make sense of it yet. You know, you might feel like, oh fuck, I don't know what yeah. I, I don't know what to think of my behavior in that instance. Or uh, you might be worried about another person. That, the problem with telling kinky stories is there's almost always another character involved who was very intimately there, yeah. and you don't want to, you know, yeah. you want to respect their privacy. I mean, I change names, but that doesn't mean people aren't listening. You know what I mean? This, yeah. is, this is the conversation. You know, I interviewed a lot of uh, cartoonists, a lot of people who do, you know, memoir autobiographical mm-hmm. things, and that's that's always the question: is once you start doing this, how 
how much do people back away? How, how much more, more secretive are yeah, people for fear yeah. of showing up in one of those stories? Yeah. Have you noticed that at all? Oh, yeah. Well, well, actually, that's one of, in this whole, you know, for the Taboo show, I was yeah. thinking, well, I, I do want to tackle this. It, it may not seem like a taboo to other people, but to sure. me, it feels like a taboo to have, to be so stuck on aging. You know, and I think that people do, especially straight men, People do look down on straight men that have, quote-unquote, an Asian fetish. People, like, look at that as being objectification sure. and fetishization and all that. Um, but anyway, no, part of the problem is is that if you were to stereotype Asian folks, they do come from cultures that put high value on the idea of assimilating, on the idea of not being an individual. So being a guy who has, like a reputation in the public sphere for being kinky, for being like an idiosyncratic, wild, subversive sexual guy, that's not the kind of guy that most Asian guys are going to want to date. To yeah. think, oh yeah, mom is going to see that we're dating and that you're also talking about you know, water sports on your I, latest I episode maybe of your just, you show. Know, maybe I'm giving him too much credit, but I feel like it's like, okay, mom has already gotten over the fact that you're gay. <laughs> you know? No, no, not my mom. No, I'm saying but that's what I'm saying. Like they, like they moved beyond that. You know, I don't know because I don't know. I don't, don't know, know what they're expecting. Mothers. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess that's fair. I guess that's fair. It's, it, it's interesting mm. how people can sort of uh, compartmentalize that sort of thing, right? How you, mm-hmm. can, you know, yeah. you can you, you can you can accept you can accept it up to a certain point. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, in my own case, like my parents uh, have not heard Risk, sure. the, the podcast. Yeah. I, I've shared only one story from the show with them, and that was a, a very Catholic story, a story about when I was in you know, Jesuit high school, uh, so it has a very Christy feel to it. Um, what do you, you know, it, when, when, you were, when you were doing the TV show, it was probably pretty clear to your parents what you were, you know, what you were doing for a living, what oh, your yeah. job was. You were on, you were on television. You yes. had this thing. And now it's it's this strange new world this this new media and you're just telling like you're just telling stories from your life it must be they must have no concept at all of what you're what you're actually doing well they, for one thing they are not internet people yeah. so they don't have twitter or facebook and they don't know they don't really understand what a podcast is they they understand that what i do is more or less like a radio show mm-hmm. right and they do understand that it's not clean you know yeah. they understand that it's more of an r or they don't. I don't think they know it can be downright X-rated <laughs> at times. But yeah, they think of it as an R-rated raw, in my mother's word, kind of show. Um, but they take great solace in the fact that I'm now uh, able to pay my rent and that there are stories about people who say that risk saved their lives. Yeah. You know, the the thing about risk is. Any one episode of the podcast will feature a really funny story and then a story about someone who uh, quit heroin and, you know, was at the brink of death or uh, a really horrifying story about, um, I don't know, uh, you know, a molestation followed by a really profound heartwarming story. So it's an emotional roller coaster ride the whole time, but people write in all the time. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I feel like so much less of a freak. I was feeling suicidal. I found your show and it kind of saved me. So that's what I tell my mom, you know? And the fact that I teach storytelling, they're very like impressed by that too. They feel like there's something substantial about what I'm doing. It, it, more substantial than say 
just making silly comedy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's really having an effect on people's lives. So even though they don't hear the podcast, and they, I think they know they want to avoid listening to it because they know there's a lot of really adult stuff yeah. on there, uh, they feel okay about what I'm doing in general. Yeah. Do, do, do you still feel the need at this point in your life to, to get that that sort of verification from them to, to make sure that they're, you know, happy or proud or... Oh, yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I still feel the need to, on the phone with them, make them feel like I'm uh, not at death's door. Well, there's th- th- these are two different things, right? There's, there's uh, you know, you're successful and, 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 and you're making money on one side. You're not going to die on the other side. And then there's the, I'm making a difference in people's lives. Those are, you know, um, do, do you feel the need to, to sort of explain that part to them and to explain that you know what I'm doing is 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 an important thing this is a thing that um, oh, you yeah. should be proud of oh absolutely absolutely I have I've used that yeah. as a defensive conversation <laughs> because at one point a friend of theirs I w- there was an article done about me in a Cleveland paper which is close enough to Cincinnati yeah, that sure. it got it, it sure. somehow the it, wind the wind picked it up ex- and, yeah. exactly and and in the article it said oh Kevin has told stories about uh, tying shoes to his balls and having a fetish for Asian guys and That's some, the difference some between other... a Cleveland paper and a Cincinnati <laughs> paper. <laughs> and wind of it got to my mom and yeah. she was really, really upset and I sent an email and, and prepared a telephone conversation that was all about yeah. yes, but what I'm doing has, you know, gotten reactions from people saying Oh my gosh, my son is my friend again because I'm now sharing this podcast, the two of us, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, no, it does, on, it means it, it means something to me on both those levels. But the podcast does remain to this day. I think of it kind of as a fuck you to the need for parental, uh, okays of what I'm doing, right? Mm -hmm. I remember, George Carlin once said that his parents were so cool, they were so easygoing and kind of liberal, laissez-faire, that uh, he felt like if he hadn't been sent to Catholic school mm. and raised very, very within the Catholic system, he wouldn't have had something to rebel against. Yeah. So he's very thankful yeah. for yeah. it. Like Catholicism was the first thing that he really felt like, I've got to say something about this nonsense. Um, so... To an extent, I'm very thankful that I've got all this neurosis from all the shame that my mother poured on my head when I was a kid around sexuality, because risk is a big fuck you to that. How how long was the the, the, the gap between the end of the show and, and the beginning of Risk? Twelve years. Twelve years. What, yeah. What, what what were you up to in that period? Oh God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is the most brutal part of my life right now. There's a show called uh, Wet Hot American Summer that's happening on Netflix. Familiar. And uh, it's a really, really painful thing for me to see that happening. Because to, to the because you know so I, I would always like. Because I, I felt this too, and you know, I've certainly. And the thing that I'm realizing now is, uh, when you when you surround yourself with like good, talented, creative people, they're going to do really well. Yeah. But but you know, th- this is a group of people who, I don't, I'm not trying to pile on, but like this is a group of people who like you've seen have that success 
over and over again. This isn't like a next plateau. It's just, like, you know, over the course of the last however many years, like they've continued to have that success. But every time something like this comes around, it, it still well, hurts. Well, no, what it was was that Wet Hot American Summer specifically is kind of a, rem- a reminder to me of when I was kind of at my nadir. Oh, I see. When, I, the, when the movie came out. Initially. Yes, the movie. Yeah. When the movie yeah. came yeah. out. Um, because I had really become antisocial. Mm-hmm. I was filled with stage fright. I was very, uh, had a lot of social anxiety about other comedians. This is actually very common. It's very common for comedians to be afraid of other comedians sure. and to have a lot of anxiety about being in the room with other people who they comedians think are, are successful. Dicks, yeah, well, usually. The, the thing of it is, is that the state itself, I love yeah. everyone in the state like a brother, which is to say that, you know, there's still a lot of tension and love and you know sure. like it's it's like a family it's like yeah. a dysfunctional yeah. family to this very day we still get together for people's weddings and stuff like that and, and you know we had a wonderful reunion in um, LA in October I, I was on Marin's show mm-hmm. the week that we were rehearsing and he said what's this week gonna be like yeah. and I said well we're gonna have a wonderful show at the end of it that's gonna make everyone laugh we're gonna have a ton of laughs during the week making that yeah. show and there will probably be uh, two or three moments of explosive rage, <laughs> and I was absolutely right. You know that that's just the way the group works. Yeah. It's, it's a it's a. Is it predictable who's going to explode? No, not not well. I mean, <laughs> over the years, some people you know mellow out, and some people grow more it's, neurotic. It's black, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Actually, Mike is one uh, who has really mellowed, out, even though he was never an explosive kind yeah. of guy. But he has gotten a lot more. A sweeter with yeah, age, yeah. <laughs> you know, having children has a really sure. good effect on some people. But anyway, the point was was that the the group used to really relate to each other in a roasting kind of way, right? That was kind of the way that we would take each other down a peg, sure. keep everyone's ego in check. Sure. But I've always been like a person who is on the more submissive, more you know, like. Uh, Walk all over me, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, not not a very good competitive kind of macho guy, and so I didn't do very well with all that kind of roasting. Like twelve people who yeah. are all competing to get their sketch yeah. on the show. Yes. It's got to be a terrible environment. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, I I, I don't want to paint it as like a nightmare. We yeah. had a ton of fun. We had a ton of fun, um, but. We could be kind of cutthroat with each other as well. And that left me feeling a little bit battered and bruised at the end of it all. And I did something really, really, really stupid, which was that I... You know what I could have done? And I said this on Marin, too. And he was like, well, you can't go back and rewrite the past or whatever. But... I could have started taking classes at UCB because they were just starting at the time. I could have just like, I don't know, found any way possible to be getting up on stage as much as possible. Uh, Because what really, what I found, what I didn't really know back then, even after having been in this group, is that... It really doesn't matter how many things you audition for. It doesn't matter how many writer's packets you send to shows. Yeah. None of those things matter at all. What matters is 
who you're friends with, who you've had drinks with. You know what I mean? No one yeah. r- hires writers for any of the shows that I was applying to every show in New York City. You had a group of friends, right? I mean, you had friends who were out there doing things. At least, you know, you were in a troop with people who were out there doing things. Yes, but, but the state itself saw me as stepping, as becoming more antisocial from the group itself. Yeah. I was the only member of the group who had a really separate group of friends in in a major way because I had all these gay guys that I was hanging out with all the time. So the group was socializing 24-7 while we were on MTV and I was usually the guy who would wander away. If, you know... I am. I was the black sheep in my own family. I was the fourth of five children, the gay one, the space cadet, the guy who was always wandering off into his own universe. Yeah, because how much of that? Because and, and I, I, talk, I get where you're coming from, but I'm wondering like how much of that is like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, going to go to the gay bar, hang out with, with gay people, and how much of that is just like I just kind of need to be myself. To, 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 for yeah, a yeah, while. No, absolutely. Because yeah. there, were, the group would uh, when it, when it came time for you know we're done with six episodes and we have a month off, yeah. the group would go on vacation together and I would be like eh, I'm going to go off on the green tortoise bus ride alone you know what I mean or I don't know whatever so yeah no I was consistently making choices to have one foot in my own world and when the group broke up I kind of was keeping two feet in my own world this is interesting because you know I, I went through I th- went through not not of that magnitude but you know I just I had a rough year myself yeah um and it was it was similar in that you know I I, I had you know I, I had I had some good jobs and I felt like I had gotten to a certain place of of, of success and left the job and had been doing freelance and and you know and and was kind of wondering how how big of a mistake I had made and I and I just I completely retreat into myself and I am not somebody who's going to go out and seek other people yeah. to 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 help me get there unless, yeah. unless I can unless I can succeed on my own terms yeah. it's almost not worth doing I think that another like in a recent episode of Risk JC my producer <laughs> said that uh, Risk saved me and I really do think that that is true and one of the ways it saved me was that it forced me to be constantly talking to people. You know what I mean? To be constantly... Yeah. Like, just today, I, I, I did a storytelling session with a woman who's 80 years old, uh, just barely survived uh, Hitler's forces. You know, just barely... Yeah. Like, a lot of her family got killed in the Holocaust, but she escaped. Yeah. And uh, she's an amazing person. And we had an hour-long conversation about her life because I'm helping her, you know, put together a memoir. And those kind of things are... That, that's really good for me, you know? Um, so, yeah, no, no. I am definitely one of those people who... I forget how they describe it, but the person who has extra, a very extroverted yeah. need but who, left to his own devices, is going to be very introverted. I'm, I'm, like, I, I, I very much relate to that, and I think that the, the, mo- the most difficult thing about being that kind of personality is nobody gets it. It's, yeah. it, it's a hard thing. Like, yeah. you know, if you look like somebody who's outgoing yeah. and, and some, you know, somebody like you who like says what's on his mind, yeah. people don't understand how you can just, you know, yes. turn on a dime and just <laughs> retreat into yourself. Yeah. 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 And, and it's amazing yeah. because I'll turn off the stuff. Like I'll have that conversation yeah. with that woman today and be thoroughly engaged in her story and kind of lit up and kind of enjoying myself turn the Skype off as soon as the session's over and go right back to brutal 
brooding over my own neurosis. <laughs> so what? So take me. So take me through the. Take take me through this. You know, and how much of a process was it getting to a point where um, you could get up on stage and and tell those stories about you? How you know was it was it something that you were just able to do innately, or did you really have to build up to that? I no. You know what? I ha- I did have to build up to it, and here's what it was during the twelve years between the state breaking up and me starting Risk. What I thought was going to be my ticket was to be a one-man sketch comedy unit. You know what I mean? It sounds so terrible. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. No, but, you know, what I was thinking of was Andy Kaufman. Was the kind of performer who is not doing observational stand-up comedy. comedy. But, yeah, I was getting up and doing characters, bits, you know. Um, So I would get up on stage as Charles Manson or Frankenstein's monster or something like that, (laughs) you know. Um, And... The, these bits were very, very clever and well-written and all that kind of thing, but there was just something that was missing from them. There was, and, and, and Maybe it wasn't so much something missing from the bits, but missing from my belief in what I yeah. was doing. Um, the, more, the longer I did it, the more I, I was trying to be autobiographical about it. I did uh, a, a few solo shows of these characters, um, and the last one in 2008 was called F Up. It was five characters who had effed up their careers. Um, so it was very clearly me trying to tell my yeah. story, but through uh, Richard the Lionheart and a gay aerobic structure, instructor from the South or whatever. You know what I mean? Um, but it still just wasn't happening. And it was Michael Black, Michael Ian Black, who saw me after one of those shows in San Francisco. And he said... I think the audience just wants you to drop the act and start speaking as yourself. And I was like, I guess it was really, really, really just the ideal moment for me to hear that. Because Mm. it had been a terrible show. There had been Mm -hmm. like eight people in the audience. I had flown all the way to California for it. And I I was just like, I don't know. I I was about to turn 40. I was really feeling like I was at wit's end. Those round numbers are tough. Yeah, yeah. So he said that, yeah. and I was like, God damn it, fuck it. I think he's right. I, I, what I said to him was, you know, I'm too many things that I don't think Hollywood would get. I'm too gay, I'm too kinky, I'm too friendly, and I don't know. I'm a weird concoction of shit that Hollywood just wouldn't like, and I just feel like it's too risky. You think you're too gay for Hollywood? <laughs> Man. <laughs> What times have changed? I mean, yeah. but the thing of it is, is that, yeah, the kind of gay that Hollywood is sure. now is like white picket fence, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, leave yeah. it to Beaver. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm like, a, I'm much more like a 1970s, you know, yeah. <laughs> guy yeah. in the back room at yeah. the fisting party kind of <laughs> queer. <laughs> but anyway, no. Um, well, uh, fisting a modern family. Yeah. Yeah, right, right, exactly. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, he said it, I said it just feels too risky and he said, "Well, I think that you should go with that word, yeah. that idea of, of things being risky." So I got back to New York and I said, "All right, I'll try one of these true storytelling shows," which I, I had never been to the Moth and I, I had never tried one of these shows before and I went to um Margot Lightman had a show called, and Julie Rodsey, they both had a show called um Strip Stories, all stories about sex. And I said, all right, I'm going to tell the story about the first time I tried prostituting mm-hmm. myself. And I thought, well, that'll be really, really risky. <laughs> and I got really, really, really nervous yeah. about sharing that story. 
because there is really something about getting up on stage and talking about your private shit. Uh, trying to, first of all, make it kind of entertaining and compelling, but at the same time, really reveal shit about yourself, you know, kind of uh, open up a Because bit. you went so far from, from you know, playing yourself as, as Frankenstein's monster yeah. to, to being <laughs> yes. as, to going to like, I mean, that sounds like probably your darkest moment, or at least mm-hmm. up there. Mm-hmm. There was no, you're not a guy with a lot of middle ground, are you? No, no, that, that, and, and that is one of the... One of the things about my personality as well is that yeah. I'm kind of extreme. You know, I'm either dead drunk or I'm completely sober yeah. or I'm very extroverted or I'm very introverted. You know, so yeah, it's very hard for me to find middle ground, middle ground, moderation, balance. You know, those things are hard for me. Yeah. Is that, so I mean, maybe, that's, is, maybe that's the impetus behind quitting drinking is just finding. Yeah, like, it's trying to, trying, yeah. To, yeah, trying to even out a little bit. And, you know, I mean, the fear is I don't want to become a less interesting person I was going to ask you about that because it sounds like so much of, of how you define yourself, especially like, cause, you know, I heard, I heard the story you told on Marin. Mm-hmm. Um, big part of the reason why you, you, you got the gig on the state, mm-hmm. you joined the troupe, mm-hmm. was be- because of your drinking, right? Yeah. And that, that just, that defined you for up until 30 days ago. Yeah. Well, it, no, that is a great point is that... The state loved drunken yeah. Kevin. Yeah. In high school, they had an alter ego name for me for when I was drunk, uh, Freddie Fuckoff. You know, they were, they, and in the state, they would say we've lost Kevin when when I would go off, and people loved it. People yeah. loved it. Um, so yeah, yeah, no, it's interesting that that one of the one of the things that I used to fret about when the state was on MTV was that. I used to, I, I, I was never very good at the core key concepts of improvisation. The whole idea of just like committing mm-hmm. to it, mm-hmm. uh, kind of going with, reacting naturally to the energy of where something's going. I, I, I wanted to do crazy shit, but I could be rather controlling about it. For example, in high school, I would write down crazy-ass lines to say to people at parties once I was good and drunk. And when I would forget, you know, what the next crazy thing I might do, I'd just go to the bathroom. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I could grab the mayonnaise out of the refrigerator and start running around. You were scripting stunts. (laughs) You were scripting drunken antics. Yeah. So, yeah, so in the state, yeah, I would do similar things, you know, just suddenly exit yeah. uh, one room and come back in completely naked or something like that. and Or, you know, give us, preach a big crazy sermon in the middle of a... Of Is it just because it's like once you've done that first thing, it's like there, there's an expectation that you need to live up to? Yes, but you know what it was? What I was never able to do, I w- they were always insane outbursts that didn't necessarily make sense. It was It was usually just like non-sequitur insanity and it would usually only last mm. a minute yeah. and then it was you know so so that's one of the reasons that I wish I had had something like uh, uh, you know a really hardcore improv training yeah. was because I, it never sunk in oh you can keep going with that stuff you can keep playing because the other members of the group did learn how to do sure. that. They learned how to riff off of one another, you know, if that, yeah. then what? And 
I was always so nervous about dropping the ball when I was trying to improvise with someone else in yeah. the group about yeah. what might be a funny sketch that I was the guy who had to just go off on my own and create, you know, spend a whole weekend working on a one-page script while other members of the state could just kind of riff with each other and then say, hey, let's write that down, you know? Were you, I mean, were you actually to the point where you were, were, were you shooting episodes drunk? Oh, no, no, okay. no, 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 no. So um, you were able to keep up some sort of energy. You were able to, to keep up the pace with them on the shows without the influence of alcohol. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it's the thing about my drinking or smoking pot or poppers or anything like that was I was never so out of control as to, like, really bottom out in the way that you always yeah, hear 12-step yeah, yeah. people talking about bottoming yeah. out. So there are people, I think, who have a really, uh, just a natural... I, I think everyone has... You know, one of the things, one of the reasons I didn't like AA was that people were often saying shit where it was, like, not necessarily in the official literature, but would just everyone would nod when someone would just say some platitude, and I yeah. would think... That's just total horseshit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like one of them was, there's no such thing as being a little bit alcoholic. That's like being a little bit pregnant. <laughs> and I would always think, nope. Yeah. I think I'm a little yeah. bit alcoholic yeah. because yeah. I definitely didn't end up crashing a car and killing a yeah. family. You know yeah. what I mean? I, like I could, I could make sure, oh, no, I've got to be sober to, to be on TV tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so you didn't. So, so this, so this, this time, and it sounds like, if if not permanent, this is at least your most serious attempt at sobriety. Mm-hmm. You, you, uh, th- there isn't a moment that you can point to when you decided that this is the thing you're going to try now. Uh, with 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 this? with this current round of sobriety. Uh, well, you know, I I was definitely having some. Yeah, I actually can. Yeah. I actually can. In January and February, I went through a period where I was like, can I moderate? Can I moderate this? You know, Mm. can I... Like, one thought was, could I have one day of the week that was the drinking day? Uh, Before, I had tried moderation, like, can I make sure I'm not having more than four or five drinks a night or more than 15 drinks a week or, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Four or five drinks a night, is that's still a lot. (laughs) Yeah, right, right, right. right, right. alcohol. Um. But no, I was not good with yeah. though. I was not good with any of that. This is that middle ground again we were talking about. Before. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, and so there were a couple of incidences. One was <laughs> I uh, I uh, had a terrible night of sex in San Francisco where I just made a mess of things with this guy, and he was just like, "Get out!" You know, you're a mess. You know. <laughs> And then I lost my phone. Like, you know, that, that you know, it, it, coming home from yep. that it, into the hotel, I lost my phone. That was like, all right, that's bad. Then there was, I went to an orgy in um, Inwood. Uh, you know, I live up in Harlem. So I went, you know, 20 bucks north is, to this orgy. And, is Inwood, uh, is that a hot spot for orgies? <laughs> no, I just happened to have a okay. gangster friend who lives okay. up there. And, um, and it ended up like, throwing up and having to go to sleep in the bathtub, you know? Yeah. Um, you and you then, hit on somebody's fetish. Yeah, right, right. right. Exactly, somebody's really exactly. happy you were there. <laughs> um, 
Jesus. But the yeah. third was the third was you know uh, so this is all within the span of like two months of me yeah. trying to moderate. The third was I was I was going to another orgy and uh, had gotten pretty drunk at home before going, and on the way. I realized I'm too drunk to be able to handle myself at this orgy and told the cab driver, you know what, I'm halfway downtown, you know, to get there. And I said, turn around and take me back home. And then left my phone in the goddamn cab again. So after that, it was so funny because I have in my phone, you know, they have the find Find a phone. phone, Yeah. 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 So I have my producer's number is going to pop up on the screen so they know to call her. And she left me an email. She was like, you know, a couple hours later, she leaves me. And I wake up and I realize, oh, my God, I left my phone in that cab. I get an email from her and she says, I've got your phone. Stop drinking. <laughs> this is interesting because we, we, talk, we talked about this before. Um, when we were talking about exchanging emails and you were like, that was probably my producer you, talk, you yeah, talked yeah, yeah. to. Um, how much has ha- having somebody like that in your life helped? Oh, Hugely, it's like I, I, it's almost. I don't want to say. I, I don't mean it to be, um, uh, you know, demeaning, but it's almost like having a secretary in the sense of oh, like yeah. helping you organize your shit. Uh, you know, it's like the, it's like a life producer. I have all. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have always said that there are some people who artists, especially some yeah. artistic and creative yeah. types, who just don't have. The neurons firing in parts of their brain yeah. or their psyche or their psychology for being super organized, being, you know, business person, be, you know, whatever it is. It's just like a lot of creative people need a partner, whether it's a spouse or a business partner or a personal assistant or whatever it is, uh, who's really being the other part of their brain, you know? Yeah. And that's also true for a lot of business people. They need a, a creative person to be the be- that part of their brain. So, you know, I, I'm a big believer in collaboration mm-hmm. on that level. Uh, yeah, she's very much helped me not just put risk together, but, uh, yeah, help me get an apartment, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that, the collaboration, I mean, that's, that, that's, that's it exactly. I mean, I've... You know that's a th- that that that's the thing that it, like I, I'm always so jealous when people find mm-hmm. that person, especially mm-hmm. especially from a creative standpoint. You know, I uh, I had like they might be giants on the show, mm-hmm. and that that's a good case of two people who, if they hadn't found each other, yeah. who knows where they'd be. Yeah. So that's uh, did you have that in, with the state? I know it's probably harder to have that with you know that many people. other people. Yeah. yeah the abs- the state we're working. Someone is working on a. Uh, an oral history of the state right now. And in reading these chapters, especially the early chapters, it it forces everyone in the group to like, remember, oh yeah, I met this person here. And oh yeah, then the rest of us were also doing this other thing. And like, everyone's putting the pieces together and kind of wondering at the miracle of our all meeting and how it just fell into place so beautifully. And where would we be if it hadn't? Yeah. 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 Are you, have you gotten better at, at asking for help? Uh, uh, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. You know, it's funny because, you know, sometimes maybe too much. I've, I've said on risk before, I've said, you know, <laughs> this is going to be good. You laughed before you D- said it. During the hosting segments, I've literally said to the audience, yeah. you know, I'm 
looking, I would love to have a partner to have a husband. Yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. You are a, an Asian man. Oh out God, there. please tell me, <laughs> tell me one response that you got. Oh well, no, it's funny. I mean, no, no one responded to. Nobody that. responded to that. <laughs> well, I mean, people, you don't have a lot of gay people, Asian single dudes listening to the show. <laughs> Would they, I mean, maybe in a joke, you know, people <laughs> yeah. people out there like uh, they probably it, didn't think you were serious. Maybe not. Maybe not. I mean, if I if I talk, I, that's that more, doesn't sound like a thing a normal person would do. Yeah, right. <laughs> a lot of what I say doesn't sound <laughs> like what a normal person yeah. would say. Yeah, yeah. No, but no, that's how I got JC. Okay. I, I, I yeah. came on the show and I was like, yeah. "Look, the, you, you love because the sh- the show was." Great from the very beginning. If you listen to the first episodes of Risk, yeah. it's, it's always been great. But there really was only so long I was going to be able to keep sure. that going before the email inbox just became a complete disaster zone. So I started saying on the podcast, look, I do not have a business mind. I really need help. I need a partner to work on with this. Is there a business person out there? And, um, you know, we went through several you know, trying things out with some people. And then she stepped in and just really, really mm-hmm. kind of earned it. You know, I mean, there are some jobs like that where you're either going to live into yeah. it yeah. or you're not. You know what I mean? It's either Sing going to... Swim. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's going to be the yeah. a suit that fits you and that, sure. and that you, you, keep, you keep tailoring to fit you or... Or you're just going to be like, oh, I don't know if I, I believe in this. or You know, you, you need what I've found, and, and the same is true for Jeff, who edits the show, Jeff Barr. Uh, both he and JC were in love with the show. You know, they heard yeah. Risk and they kind of fell in love with it. And then they decided, like, come hell or high water, I'm going to really try to stick for, with this as long as I possibly can. So they really, really did great. Whereas we've had a lot of people have come on saying, I, yeah, I'm, I'm in for the long haul who are gone in a few months. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is, what, so what about you? I mean, is this, is this are, do you see yourself as being a storyteller in this capacity forever? Is, is comedy in the way that you used to do it, is that something you'd be interested in getting back into? I would like to keep Risk, the podcast, the audio podcast going as yeah. long as I possibly can. You know, I can see myself doing it still 10 years from now. Um, but I would also be interested in exploring doing something with it in the TV realm. Mm-hmm. And I would also be interested in, in you know, getting back into some yeah. acting, voiceover, some of that stuff. You know, which back in the day, during those 12 years between the state and risk, like, I just, I just wasn't a person who auditioned well. But you get to a certain point where you, like, people believe in you and trust in you and know what you can do and I think that risk is creating more of that happening so that I'm hoping to get to the point where people ask me to come in for auditions yeah. but they're like oh even if it's not the greatest audition we know Kevin sure. is Kevin sure. you know what I mean yeah. or, or you don't even have to audition right. you just have right. to um, so I, I, you, you've got to run to, to the show but I, I, I got to ask you this is, this is something I've I, I asked a lot of people on the show I'm very curious about people who um, you know, I had uh, a good example. I had uh, Sean Nelson from Harvey Danger on the show, and that's a good mm. example of like a band that just formed, mm-hmm. had a big hit, and then. So my my question is, you know, are, do you think that having that level of success that early on was a net positive for you, your life, and your oh, career? Oh God, yes, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. I mean, 
we were spoiled. Yeah. Uh, like, after the state broke up, I did not realize how how hard it was going to be to get back to... Uh, I mean, I guess I'm officially, if, you t- if you're looking objectively, I guess I'm still not back to that level of success, although I feel like I am yeah. uh, substantially. Um, but no, I, I had no idea that, like, just... You know, you can't. You can't quite imagine just how hard it's going to be. Uh, but no, you know, like I said, I do still love everyone in the state. I am, you know, probably going to, even though I'm not in Wet Hot American Summer. <laughs> I do have faith that I will be working on other projects yeah. with those same people in the future. Yeah. And or uh, Risk Itself will lead to other projects in the future. And and yeah, I, I, I don't know that I could even be doing what I'm doing today if it hadn't been for yeah. the state. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's just. I mean. That, that. That. That's. That's the question. It's just. You know. Once you've seen that certain level, and you know that there's some possibility that at least, like, I don't know if it's financially or yeah. just in terms of like recognition. Yeah. That it might not be something you'll hit again. Is it possible to still be content with your own successes? Oh, I absolutely think yeah. so. I think that. I think that. You know. Like I, I, I'm a huge Bob Dylan fan, mm. and which we were talking about people who are extroverted for yeah. professional, yeah, yeah, and then yeah, a, yeah, obviously yeah. a complete yeah. introvert. Um, He's anyway. like a human turtle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but no, he once said, "As soon as you f- feel like, oh yeah, I'm totally content now, then you're done." <laughs> And some people like my my ex husband used to get really pissed off when I would quote that, but I'm like, no, yeah. I really do kind of think that's true. I said that I tried to explain that to my mom, and she was just so upset. She's like, you know, because she was asking me, you know, if I was like happy with my job, and I was just like, I, I, I'm not, but I think that that's a good thing. Yeah, I think yeah. that that's good. I think yeah. that's going to keep pushing me forward. And yeah, it's not something yeah, well, I think one, most people get. One of the greatest lessons that I ever had was, you know, David Wayne is someone from the state who is kind of a hero. Of, I mean, a lot of members of the state are yeah. heroes of mine on this level or that level. But one of the things that he did was he just never stopped working. What Back when we were yeah. doing the show, his sketches used to be voted down, down, down. He couldn't do any... For the first, like, two mm. years that we were on... Or not two years, uh, two seasons yeah. that we were on MTV, um, he wasn't getting any sketches on. But he just never stopped coming yeah. to rehearsals with more and more and more and more sketches. Until finally people were, like, letting him do stuff. And, you know, he... I, I taught a sketch comedy class in around about 2005, and I invited him in to speak. And he said... The way my career has gone is you fail, and then you fail, and then you try something, and it's a little bit of a success, and then you have a big disappointment, and then you fail. Mm-hmm. Then you have something that you're like, oh, this is, this is actually pretty good, and then it's not recognized, and then you fail. And then, but eventually, you look back, and you're like, holy yeah. shit, look how yeah. far I've come. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whereas the road itself seemed mostly yeah. like hardship. <laughs> There you go. That was Kevin Allison. Uh, we recorded that one at a, a bar right around the corner from uh, QED, which is a, a fantastic new venue in Astoria. Um, I have been running into this thing with 
the show where I'll, I'll have somebody on the podcast who has already been on WTF, and um, I, you know, I get I get a little bit concerned ahead of time that maybe. Uh, maybe Mark Marin has kind of squeezed all of the the conversational juices out of this person, and how could we possibly get another uh, brand new hour long conversation with them? But if anybody was going to be able to do it, it was going to be be Kevin Allison, and 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 boy howdy, boy howdy, was that a fascinating conversation? Uh, I, I I don't want to say that Kevin has has no filter. I don't think that that's the right way to put it. He 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 does, but he but he's fearless. I mean that's. You know that's one of the things that makes him so fascinating. I think that's 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 certainly a huge part of what what's made his show, uh, the Risk Podcast, such a big success. You can check that out over at uh, risk-show.com. Uh, really, really fascinating. Just a just a wonderful, wonderful dude to talk to. Thank you so much to him for taking the time to do that. Uh, thanks to uh, to to Jesse at Maximum Fun for helping uh, set that one up. Uh, thanks to Brian as always for editing the show together. Uh, thanks to everybody at the, the Boing Boing Podcast Network. If you like the show, there are uh, a lot of great Boing Boing podcasts to check out over at iTunes. And while you're over at iTunes, you should take the opportunity to rate our show. That is, I don't know. Maybe we'll just do a patreon or whatever that thing is at some point in the future but right now the only okay two things i was gonna say i'm only asking that you rate us on itunes but two things rate us on itunes and if you like the show uh share it that's it is it will will cost you will cost you nothing but uh thank you so much for for listening to us if you liked what you heard you can send us feedback it's rawildcast at gmail.com i've got a facebook thing happening right now which listen i just started a new job i'm gonna get better at it uh we're gonna stay more up to date over there but uh please like us over over facebook uh follow us on tumblr that's the first and best place to get the episodes of the show uh, and to find out a little more contextual information as well, that's rawildcast.tumblr.com. Uh, lots and lots of good... You know, I just, uh, in fact, just just this week, just a, a matter of days ago, two days ago, recorded a uh, conversation uh, right, right at the same place at uh, QED Astoria with Bobby Tisdale. That's coming up. We got a conversation with, uh, with Jeff Smith, the wonderful cartoonist coming up. Uh, John Leguizamo is coming up. So many, so many good things coming up. So stick around. We will be back just about this time next week with another episode of R.A.Y.L. <laughs>